Monday, Monday afternoon, theologians. We're back this time with episode seven. seven. And because I really couldn't think of anything to banter about, and because we have a lengthier talking point list, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Might as well, because, you know, sometimes you don't really want to see all the establishing shots and the character development and the foundation of the character arc. You just want to get right to it and watch the car crash. That's like Baby Driver, the movie. Put you right on the edge of your You're fingernails. Just, just right there. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. I found it interesting as we started thinking about the word faithfulness, because we're going to grab some context from the Bible. After all, we are theologians. But I like to find out the etymology of a word and some synonyms to know what that word means in its fullest sense. And I found some interesting things about that. When I think of the word faithfulness, I usually boil it down to a more simplistic thing, and I relate it to commitment or fidelity, loyalty. I mean, think of the golden retriever in the movie Up. I am waiting here because I love you. Other synonyms for the word faithfulness include authenticity, truthfulness, accuracy. You can think of like a faithful testimony, somebody who's on the witness stand and they're truthful. They give an accurate assessment and believability because it means you can believe them because they always tell the truth. So if you boil these things down together and mix them with a little salt and pepper, you could say that person can be trusted to be true to their word. Therefore, I believe what they say. That seems a little deeper and a little more fleshed out than just committed. My parents used to say, if you're going to do something and you tell somebody, yes, I'm going to do this. And if something you think is better comes along after you have said you're going to do the first thing, stay faithful to your word. Do the first thing you said you would do, even if you have to say no to the second thing that you think is going to be better. Because developing a reputation of being a person whose word can be trusted is much more valuable than anything else. And I thought, well, that doesn't really relate to faithfulness. That feels more like honesty or truthfulness. But I think these really go hand in hand, as we've seen with some of these other character qualities in the fruit of the spirit. And I've discovered, especially when I was younger and flaky, <laughs> that it's awfully easy to leave that first thing that you said you would do as soon as you see something that you think is a better offer. And it's really hard to do what you said you were going to do when you have to say no to something that you think is a better offer. That's very difficult. That's why we have so many divorces today, for example, I think, among other things. So I haven't always done that. Uh, back in college, I used to keep my options open, which means that, unfortunately, I'm sure I let a lot of people down by saying, yes, I'm going to do that. And then I would say, oh, sorry, but something's come up. And so I can't make that. Well, the something that came up was something that I thought was better. <laughs> and I think college students are at that age where you're trying to figure that stuff out because you don't want to have FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. So you take that second option and then you flake out on somebody and leave them wanting, which I did quite a bit back in college, I'm afraid. I flitted around, in fact, with several part-time jobs because quite honestly, I got bored with the repetitive, dumb old entry-level jobs that were not fulfilling in any way. And when I saw another job that came along, I would say, ooh, that looks more exciting, or I can make a little more money. So instead of remaining committed, I just hopped into the next thing. So that's why I think this talking about faithfulness is really vital, it's really relevant, and it's something that we all struggle with, which is why I think we need to look at that. 
scripturally today? Yeah, I, I can relate to the flitting of jobs in one particular case. I was working for one company and another company. I, I knew somebody there and he said, we, you know, we need somebody who's doing what you're doing. Uh, why don't you come over? We'll pay you this amount. And then I told my boss I was leaving and she said, oh, well, I'll pay you this, the same amount. But it was like the die was already cast and I was already going the other place more glamorous than the, the first place. We were thinking about this topic, and I remember there are, are so many people that I've seen who have sacrificed for years and years and years to serve in the church, you know, whatever their various capacities could be. And I took that concept and I kind of brought it all together for a character in one of the novels that I'm working on. And there's this particular woman and, and she's been working in the church bookstore. And as some of the other people are thinking back, they say, I don't think that she has missed a Sunday in the bookstore for more than 20 years, except for that time when she went to bury her brother. And according to the story, she'll be 106 on her next birthday. <laughs> this person has been faithful for a significant point of her life still faithful in her commitment to working not only in the, the bookstore, but as you see the interactions that she has with the customers, mm -hmm. that um, she is faithful to our Lord in so many other ways. Mm, I love that. And I just preached on Sunday about a little passage where it says, and those who seem to be least on earth will be greater in heaven, greater when he remakes all the heaven and new earth. And those who seem to be really cool and really, really important here on earth, they're probably going to be less important <laughs> when they get there. Because a lot of those people who have been faithful doing the little jobs that we don't even notice sometimes, I think they're going to be some great rewards one day for that. Well, let's look at that biblical basis because we're right smack dab in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We're coming in toward the last three of the nine character qualities that make up the fruit of the Spirit, and that's love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, which we talked about in the last episode, and today faithfulness, and then we still have gentleness and self-control to round out that list. When Rick, you, my good friend, were coming up with some ideas about how we can organize our thoughts for today, you noticed that there were some themes that kind of pop up in the Bible as you were looking through a huge list of verses when you type in the word faithfulness. And let's look at three of those themes. They are God's faithfulness to man, man's faithfulness to fellow man, and man's faithfulness to God. So let's start with that first one, God's faithfulness to man. And I think that when we start to look at that, one of the immediate places that we would go is to the Psalms, because there are many, many verses in the Psalms that talk about faithfulness. And we look at how our reliance on God builds an undivided heart. And this is addressed in Psalm 86 in verse 11, which says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And that, of course, is the fear of God that is in a good way, not in a terrified way, but in a way that shows us that we revere who God is and who he is to us personally. 
But then that takes us to a point where we have to ask, what is an undivided heart or how does a heart stay undivided? And on a personal sense, you know, I start to look at some of the end time indicators that seem to be playing out in the world today. And when I look at those, it becomes easier to trust that he will be faithful to bring about everything that he has promised in those areas. Because he said it, it's been in the book for a long, long time, and now we start to see them play out. This really builds my trust in what he's doing for the world and in my life in particular, and that builds more and more every day. Boy, you are so right. And it's still so true today. We talked before we started this uh, episode, in fact, and I could see that playing out in my own life, even just yesterday. And uh, you're so right about that. Well, faithfulness, as you mentioned, is a huge theme. I mean, it's a very prevalent theme in both the Psalms and in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And of course, that becomes the basis for a whole lot of hymns and worship songs. And we tend to forget sometimes that the Psalms are worship songs. They were lyrics that were actually sung in worship way back when David and some of the other psalmists were writing them. And I have noticed that there are a lot of skeptics. All you have to do is just skip around on the internet a little bit. You can find them everywhere, but there are a lot of skeptics who will encounter some pain or injustice, either in their own life personally or with a loved one. And they say, well, where was God when whatever that bad thing was happened? Was he being faithful then? Well, from the outside, we can certainly say, yes, of course. You know, we can look back to the book of Job for someone who asked a very similar question, and uh, we saw what the answer was there. But if we look at the life of, of King David, he wrote a boatload of, of songs about God's faithfulness, and that was in the midst of all of his struggles and his difficulties and the injustices that he went through. And yet he was looking at it from a, a very spiritual perspective when he says that God is faithful to me and your faithfulness is undying. And I think that that is something that we want to emulate. I love it. That's why probably I direct so many people to the Psalms because they have meant so much to me when I'm going through something. And it helps remind me that God still is faithful and his faithfulness is renewed every morning, even when I'm going through a difficult season. And in order to get a more in-depth answer to that question, was God being faithful when that terrible thing happened? It's just like everything else we talk about in theology. We've got to go back to the very beginning and back to the garden where that meta story that we're living in begins. And that's why everything else takes its meaning from this meta story. We have to find ourselves in God's story. And based on the premise, which is God created everything perfectly, and then it got messed up because of sin. The short answer to that question is, we're living in a fallen world. Yes, God is being faithful, but we're living in a fallen world. And because sin entered the world through the very first people, and since all of us are people, and we all have that same sin nature, we're living between the time when everything was perfect and the time when it's going to be remade into its perfection again, so that all those who are in Christ will be able to enjoy that perfection. But we're in the middle, in the fallen state. And so we have to be sure that we're redirecting our thoughts back to Scripture, back to the truth, so that we know we can have that steadfast hope of the perfection that God has for us, because God made a way for us to be reconnected with Him. And He dealt with that sin problem, which causes so many of our problems in the world today, while Jesus took our place on the cross. 
And that's where his faithfulness is seen the best. It's seen in the most prominent place and in the most prominent way. It's as Jesus hung on the cross because he paid the ransom fee to set our hearts free from the bondage of sin and death and to prepare us for an eternity that we're going to enjoy in his presence in that place where sin doesn't mess everything up. The second thing we want to look at is man's faithfulness to his fellow man. Ooh, ooh, that's right. As soon as I saw that, when you first sent this talking point outline, I couldn't help but think of a friend of ours because I used to sing in a quartet with Mark Ramsey and his dad was named Dennis Ramsey. And Dennis was so committed, so faithful, so authentic, so true to his word because he kept his promise made at the altar to cherish and care for his wife in sickness and in health. And he wound up caring for his sweet wife for decades after she was really struck with severe arthritis. So she could barely function normally, physically. And that's one of the first things that comes to mind when I think of somebody who is faithful. And I'm sure that there must have been times when he felt like giving up. I mean, he's human too. We wouldn't have seen it by the way he lived his life, but there had to have been those deep, dark nights of the soul in his own life. But that's what differentiates between somebody who doesn't remain faithful, and so they break a vow and they shift their affection to something or someone else that says, well, she's not meeting my needs, so I'm going to look elsewhere, or somebody who stays put and keeps serving. There's a huge difference, and I love it when you get to see examples like Dennis Ramsey of somebody who kept serving no matter what. Yeah, I often see that, that art imitates life, and on the counterpoint of what you were just talking about, there was a movie I saw recently, or it was a limited series or something. And the premise was the mother of three siblings had died and the sort of prodigal sibling, a young lady comes home to deal with, you know, everything that goes along with the funeral and the family and, and all of that. And as she's dealing with all of these things, she discovers that the father had been having an affair with someone in his office. Uh -oh. And she confronts the woman who she gets thrown out of the other woman's house. And she goes back and she talks to her siblings and says, not only did we know about this other woman, mom knew about the other woman too, and actually encouraged it because, you know, dad still has needs and she wasn't able to do anything about it. And it was just a horrible situation, and it was so awful that I just turned it off and didn't watch the rest of it. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's so counter to what we see, what faithfulness really is, and it was being encouraged within the family. And I thought, this is just a, a demonic portrayal of what life is supposed to be. Ain't that the truth, though? Wow, we... And we're so grateful that for those who have been through a painful experience and have experienced the pain of divorce, that there's always redemption, there's always forgiveness, and we're grateful for that. But man, if we can avoid that stuff by remaining faithful, even though we may feel like some of our needs are not being met by our spouse, but if we make the commitment to remain faithful and to choose to trust God's faithfulness, then good things can happen. So the third theme we see in the Bible is man's faithfulness to God. And this one is always the one that's most tenuous. In the Old Testament, we see so many times when the Israelites would, would turn away from God to the, the gods of the other nations in the form of idols. 
time after time after time. They turn away, they come back, they turn away, they come back. We have the same problem today, and we demonstrate our faithfulness to God by turning from those idols, whatever they happen to be. You know, they don't have to be carved wooden figures like they were in the first century, but we still have plenty of them. We can identify an idol as anything we prioritize that ends up being a substitute for God, something that's more important than God. And when we try to find satisfaction in those things, that thing becomes an idol. And if we're going to maintain our faithfulness to God, we become convicted that something has become an idol, and we turn away from it, and we reprioritize our relationship with God. Now, in Joshua 24, we see a verse that says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit reveals to us the things that have become substitutes for God, and he convicts our hearts so that we take action and put God back in first place in our lives. And I find it interesting that the verse says, beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Now, Euphrates was to the east, Egypt was to the west, and in the center was the nation of Israel. So all around them, surrounding them in every direction were all of these things that were idols. And he says, put them away, just get rid of it, because none of that is going to be as satisfying as when you have the right relationship with the Lord He's been with you all the time, and you keep turning away, and he keeps reminding you, sometimes with very catastrophic consequences, that you need to serve him and him alone, and everything else is an idol that really is a stick or a rock or, or something that is created and not the one true God who you really should be worshiping in place of everything else. Precisely, because all those man-made things really are just worthless and God is worthy, which is where the word worship comes from. He is worthy of our praise, which is why I think it's important that we proclaim his faithfulness as a part of our worship. And that can be personal worship. It can be in small groups. It can be corporately, but we need to do that. We need to get into the word, read the Bible. We need to gather with others where we can be reminded of God's faithfulness to us, which gives us the desire to remain faithful to him. And here's something to think about. Our faithfulness to Christ is really our trust in his faithfulness. He's I think that's such a great statement. It's yes, such a great statement because his faithfulness is complete. Yes. And our faith is in him. It's built upon his faithfulness to us. And that's just a, a very succinct way to put faithfulness into context. And he is the object of our faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So it's not our faith that we're putting our faith in. We're not, we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Christ because of his faithfulness. And he's the one who begins that good work in us by coming into our hearts and lives through the Holy Spirit. And he promises that he will be the one to be faithful to complete that work as well, which means that we don't have faith in our own faithfulness. We don't have faith in faith. We have to have faith in something or someone who is far greater than our own faith. Who's that person? Well, for us, it's Christ. We can have complete confidence in his faithfulness, the same faithfulness that led him to pay our ransom fee on the cross. So when somebody says, for example, well, my faith got me through the ordeal, what do they mean? Maybe they just 
shorten it and they're commending Christ, or it may be that they're kind of commending themselves because they had confidence in their own faith. I hope not. I hope that what they mean is my confidence in this ordeal was placed not in myself, but in Christ, who is always faithful to me. Christ got me through the ordeal. And there's a bit of a subtext in, in what you just quoted there, and we have one, might want to look at what is the good work in that sentence. Is it the work that we were prepared to do by God when we were born, or, or is it his work of sanctification in us? Hmm. You, know, you look at those and you go, those are two very different things. So God had kind of preordained that we would have some work to do and that he would give us the tools and the talents that we need to do that. He would you know, give us the people that we need to uh, support us as we go through that process. He gives us the understanding we have of, of whatever uh, the work is as we move towards it. Mm -hmm. And yet, on the other hand, he always expects us to be coming close, for all of us to be coming closer to Christ on a day-to-day -day basis as we work out our salvation. Look to him to take away all of that stuff that doesn't belong in our lives. I like that. That's so true. What's coming to mind as you mentioned that is something that Henry Blackaby wrote about in his book, Experiencing God, a couple of decades ago. And he said that in God's faithfulness, being comes before doing, which means that he's doing that work of transformation so that we're implanted with his character qualities first, and then the doing that results from that becomes the good work he's given us to do. So it's kind of both. I mean, that good work can be both, but it starts with the character first, and then the good works that emanate from that are the things that he had preordained even from before we hit the earth. And uh, I think it's great that character comes before doing, and the doing grows out of the character. Yeah, I think that's very well said, because I don't think you can necessarily separate them they are two distinct aspects of the same process. Mm -hmm. And another question that comes up, and this is kind of a nagging question that some believers have, they'll say, well, what are the greater works than Jesus that he said his believers will do? Because he promised us in John 14, 12, he was talking to his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. So this is not just for the apostles. He says, anyone. He says, because I'm going to be with the Father. So after his ascension to be with the Father, he's saying that believers in him will do not only the same works, but also even greater works. But we ask the question, how in the world could a believer possibly do a greater work than Jesus? And I think you and I have kicked this around enough to know that we're in agreement. We don't believe that we could ever do greater miracles than Jesus, at least not in quality. So this is not a qualitative statement. I think it's a quantitative statement. I think it has to do with the scope of these miracles because he was training up his believers to become the church, which would propagate and bring in more sheep to the fold. Therefore, all these miracles are going to be multiplied because of the church. And so there's going to be more and more people around the globe for his kingdom's sake. And so therefore, the miracles will be multiplied. So I resonate with the commentators who say that the greater works that he's talking about will never eclipse the miracles of Jesus in quality. I think that they will reach more people because of the increased number of people in the church, but will never surpass Christ in terms of greatness. Yeah, when we look at that, you know, there were X number of people in the world in general at the time of Christ. 
Uh, you know, the known world would maybe go from somewhere in Western Africa to somewhere uh, maybe pushing towards India at that time, you know, north into Southern Europe as we know it today, uh, somewhere down um, further south of Egypt in the continent of Africa. And yet there is a very limited scope of the people that Jesus could reach. And I think that was by design because he was always planning to send out the apostles and the disciples uh, that were not apostles into the world to spread the good news. And today there's somewhere around 8 billion people, which is many, many fold more than were, were at that time. So I think that in a very real sense, he was saying, you're going to reach the world, a world that I can only tap into this small portion because I'm one man. I'm dealing with a limited scope for my ministry today to lay the foundation for the works that will come. And as we look at today's world, I mean, there are, you know, call them social media influencers who have a following that are measured in the millions. Mm -hmm. You know, that was way more than what Jesus could reach in the area of Jerusalem, Galilee, what, you know, what we call the Holy Lands today. And so I think he was looking forward to say, there will be a multitude that will come to me through the work that you do, whether it's personal testimony or using technology to spread the word in a much more significant way. I, I remember the line out of Jesus Christ Superstar that says, Israel in 4 BC has no mass communication. <laughs> and we do have that today. Yeah. So here's another question for us to consider. Mm -hmm. How can I be reminded of God's faithfulness so I don't get anxious about all of the injustice in the world and a future that I can't know? Once again, we're going to turn to the inspiration of the Psalms. David wrote a majority of the lyrics, poems, and those make up a good portion of the book of Psalms. And in many of those, we see David pouring out his heart to God. He expresses worry and fear and anger. And a lot of it was concerning the state of the world that he was living in, which seemed to be a world of upheaval. But he continually reminds himself, and by proxy us as we read the Psalms, that God is faithful despite the state of the world. And if we were to look at the world in his time and compare it to our state of the world at our time, I think we would find a large similarity between events that were happening then and the chaos that was going on. And when we look at today's world and we see cities on fire and we see people turning away from God and allowing evil to exist in ways that we wouldn't even thought imaginable mm -hmm. uh, even 10 or 20 years ago, it's easy to get discouraged, to worry and have fear and to be angry yeah. And we're in the same position that David was when he wrote those Psalms. We certainly are. I find that I have to fight the tendency to become not just sad, but angry and to despair about the state of the world because I have a divided heart. I forget that God is still sovereign, that he was sovereign way back then when David had lots of things going on, including people who were literally out to kill him. And in the New Testament, when we see people like Paul writing to the Corinthians, Corinth was a nasty place back then. It was full of all kinds of immorality. And yet, in the state of our world today, I can still be reminded through the word and through good music that focuses on truths from the word that God's still on his throne. 
And that's one of the things I'm, I love the fact that we have a songbook, the book of Psalms in the Bible, because today that's one of the ways that God gets rid of my undivided heart and gets me centered back on him again. It's listening to good, inspiring, God-centered songs. It, it gets me refocused away from that despairing state of the world when I'm fed up with it, and it puts me back on the right track again. I love this one that our congregation has just recently started to sing. It's called Graves into Gardens, and I'm just going to read a couple of the lyrics from that. It says, I searched the world, but it could not fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along, speaking of God, and put me back together, and every desire is now satisfied here in your love. You turn graves into gardens, you turn bones into armies, you turn seas into highways, you're the only one who can. And I love that because all those lyrics grow out of real events that are recorded for us, historic events, and they're recorded for us in the Bible, in the scriptures, and they're a history of God and his people. He's been faithful to his people ever since the beginning, and he's still just as faithful to us today. So because we who have trusted Jesus are still being given these gifts that he has for us, including gifts that emanate out of his faithfulness, we can count on his faithfulness to us as well. We can, and, and we see his faithfulness demonstrated in some kind of bizarre ways when we look back, say, into the Old Testament. Can't imagine what we're going to do to win this battle is we're going to march around the city seven times, then we're going to blow a trumpet. Uh -huh. And you can only imagine the soldiers are going, this is kind of stupid. <laughs> you know, we've been marching for like six hours. We've only been around this building about five times. We got two more to go. And then after that, somebody's going to pick up a trumpet and play a few notes. And what? the walls of the city fell down. They had literally their marching orders, which they did. you got to think they were thinking it was kind of dumb. And then when they got to the end and the trumpet, trumpet blew and the wall fell down, they went, oh, I guess I didn't really have faith that that was going to happen. And yet God says, I am faithful. I'm going to do what I say because you did your part. Now you can take the city. I love it. And you're right. There's so many of those situations. We've talked about a number of them earlier. In fact, in that one season about God has a sense of humor, we talked about humor in the Bible. And there are a lot of very bizarre things that took place. But one of the reasons he does things that way, I think, is because man can't take the credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> and he deserves the glory. And it's really good for me to remember when I'm tempted to despair about the state of the world. It's good that I can recall that I can count on God's faithfulness every day. It's being poured out fresh in fresh new ways every single day. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. That's from Lamentations, which is a bit of an irony because Lamentations is kind of a downer book. <laughs> but it's there to remind us that there are a lot of things that lead us to despair if we become divided in our heart and we're not relying on God's faithfulness. So let me just ask you, did you wake up this morning and realize that you were being given a gift from God just by being able to breathe? Even the air that we take into our lungs is evidence that he's still being faithful to us. And that's a good reminder. It certainly is. And here's another one. It's another verse that connects God's attribute of faithfulness to what Christ did for us on the cross. 
Let's take a look at Psalm 85, verse 10. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. It's a nice way to put those, those attributes. That's very poetic, and it's lovely, and it's powerful, because we might not recognize that what this is really a reference to is Jesus on the cross. That's where righteousness and peace kiss each other. Jesus' love and justice come together perfectly because he loves us enough to pay the penalty for our sin, therefore taking care of justice. And as he did so, he ransomed us. He paid the ransom fee to get us out of bondage to sin and self, because sin drives us deeper and deeper into self, which never ends well, because self never satisfies. And it restores our hearts to the kind of peace we can only get when we put our trust in him and in his faithfulness. I find it interesting that almost no matter what we talk about, we come back to the work of Christ on the cross, because it's all so interrelated. I remember a night we were in a Wednesday night service, and in this big church, there were always decisions, whether it was coming to Christ, rededication, people coming for baptism, whatever it was. And that night, nobody came. And the pastor was absolutely beside himself. And he said, there was enough gospel preached tonight to save every soul in hell. And he brought the elders down to pray on the altar because something was wrong in the church that night. Wow. And I'm reminded of that as we wrap this one up, because Christ's work on the cross is so important to all of us. And it's possible that we've tweaked a heart of someone who says, I need that. Yeah. I understand now that God is being faithful to me and allowing me to work through things to the point that I know now that I need him and the work that he did. That is so true. It's so good. I'm glad you brought that up about that pastor, because, man, we're in spiritual warfare. We're in spiritual battle on this earth because we live in a fallen state and in a fallen world. And so, yeah, if, if your heart has been tweaked in some way, if the Holy Spirit has been whispering to you and saying, I need God's faithfulness, you can count on him to do that. Let me lead a prayer, and I'll just uh, give a sample of what you could say in your heart, in your own words, to the Lord so that you can count on his faithfulness. You could pray something like this. God, I recognize that even just when I got up this morning and was able to take breath into my lungs, you were being faithful. You're still being faithful to me. And I failed to recognize your faithfulness. I have actually said bad things about you because I recognize now that there is sin in my heart that has kept me estranged from you. I have made you, in a sense, my enemy. And I don't want that anymore. I want to get close to you. I want to throw myself at the foot of the cross, and I want your Holy Spirit to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, to forgive my sin, and I just want to be reconnected with you in the way that you desire. Thank you for drawing me back to yourself. I want a reconciliation with you, a holy God, and I realize that I'm so unholy and I'm so sinful, and yet you made a way. It was impossible that I could do anything to make a way back to you, but you made a way because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to pay that sin debt, to ransom me from bondage to myself and to my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. Oh, continue to guide me. Lead me onto your path. I want to follow you. I want to get into your word. I want to hang out with fellow believers who are on the same path so that we can encourage one another and gain strength by being reminded every day that your faithfulness is being renewed every day. Thank you for that. Thank you for your forgiveness. I love you, and I want to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
And it's also possible that some of our fellow theologians may have been walking with the Lord for a long time, and yet there have been idols that have sprung up in their life that they need to turn away from. You know, it's so easy. It could be money. It could be prestige. It could be career. It could be relationship. It could be anything that stands in the way between God and us on a daily basis. And it's so easy to do. I mean, how many times have both you and I turned from things that have been in the way? You know, it's something that, you know, as his mercies are new every day, our commitment should be renewed every day. And it's possible that there are some of those who are, are working with us here. They need to turn away from something and renew that commitment. And uh, let's do a prayer for them as well. I will do that because it's so easy for us to become obsessed over things that are only leading us to despair. They're not leading us to the peace that Christ wants to give us. And I find that on a very regular basis. You're right. I have to constantly be allowing him to recognize what is becoming an obsession or an idol because I'm trying to find satisfaction in something other than him. And I need to allow him to just brush that away. So yeah, let's do that. Here's a prayer that all of us need to pray constantly. In fact, God, I realize how easy it is for me to take my eyes away from you and to put it on the storms of this life. And I realize how easy it is for me to despair because I have a divided heart and I seek satisfaction in things that will never bring me satisfaction. And so you continually work with me on that. I'm so grateful for that. But I'm asking you right now, reveal to me where my obsessions are leading and why those obsessions are idols and help me to get rid of them. Help me to give them up to you as a gift, an offering, and to say, God, I give this to you. Please destroy it. Get rid of it. I don't want it in my life, whatever that obsession might be. I want to put you back on the throne of my life. I want to reprioritize you because you need to be first place in my life, God. I recognize that your faithfulness is being poured out to me every day, and I can count on you. You have been so faithful to me every day of my life, and I forget that because I take my eyes off of you. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for turning things into idols that should not be idols. Help me to trust you more fully today and help me to reclaim that peace that you have and you so freely pour out to me, knowing that I can trust you for today and for my future. Because I don't know what my future looks like, but you hold the future, my future, in your hand. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you for helping me breathe deeply again knowing that the Holy Spirit is still very actively at work. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. No and the next two episodes are I'm really looking forward to because they could just really be convicting to me in ways that I am not necessarily ready to deal with, but we will. Um, like the when we talked about patience, uh, gentleness, and self-control are areas that I have struggled with. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I am, I'm looking forward to these for laying, again, another foundation for where we go from here. Me too, brother. Me too. Yep. And fellow theologians, thanks so much for hanging in there with us. We sure appreciate you. And I pray that this may have been inspiring or encouraging or perhaps even convicting at some points. And that if so, uh, that we'll just give God the credit for that. And we hope that we can continue to bolster each other's faith and trust in Christ because we're putting our faith in his faithfulness. And let's keep doing that together. And we invite you back next time for the next episode of Monday, Monday afternoon, afternoon. Theologians. 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 Theologians.